Thanks for checking out the Christian Life Austin podcast. If this is your first time listening, make sure to check us out at clcaustin.com for more info on how you can connect with us. We trust that you will enjoy today's message. Thank you for listening. There was a young man who was studying and about to take a final exam in zoology. Anybody ever taken zoology? All right. I know we have all taken that class. Uh, He studied all night. He's been studying for weeks for this final exam. And he walks into the class and he walks in, much to his surprise, you know, he's ready to sit down and take a multiple choice exam. But it's not like that. He sees uh, ten birds sitting on their perch there with uh, little hoods over them and showing only their legs. That's the only thing that he could see. And the professor says... All right, everybody, put your pencils down. Here's what the test will consist of. Nothing of what you've studied, but in fact, you're going to walk by and you're going to name the type and species of every bird based upon their legs. And so the more that this young man walked by the legs of these birds, the more frustrated and angry he became. I studied long and hard, but you didn't tell me to study the legs of these birds more frustrated, more angry. Finally, he got to the point where he said, you know what, I'm not taking this test. And he walked up to the teacher and said, this is the craziest exam I've ever heard of. I spent hours preparing for this, and you're going to make me study for something, or take a test for something that I haven't even studied. In a, a fit of rage, he storms towards the door, and before he could get there, it was quite a large class. The professor hollered out, excuse me, son, what is your name? And the young man, as quick as he was, turned around, he pulled up his pant legs, and he says, you tell me, sir, you tell me what my name is. <laughs> so I feel prepared to preach to you this morning, and I feel like... God has given me a word to share with you, and I'm excited about what's going to happen in this house this morning. It's interesting, isn't it? Uh, The traditions that we start with our families and with our children, from the secret handshakes to spaghetti on Thursdays, or movies on Fridays, or pancakes on Saturday mornings. Maybe for some of you, it's new PJs on Christmas Eve that everybody wears on Christmas morning. Maybe it's evening walks or bedtime stories. Or maybe you have older children, right? And you have family nights now where it's not these little purchases, but instead you have a night of the week that you come together, no agenda, just spending time together. Maybe some of yours are more spiritual. Maybe you you pray for your, your children before bed or when they wake up, or maybe both. Or maybe you have certain things that you... You speak over the lives of your children every single morning or every single night just because you want them to understand this godly principle. And I have to be honest, the idea behind um, today's message stems from uh, something that Cassidy and I have started doing with our children since they were born, really. And it's, and it's evolved over the years, um, but it's nothing elaborate. In fact, it's really very, very simple. But every night before we put our kids to bed... We would look at them and we would say, I would look at Windsor and say, hey buddy, you are a mighty man of God. Look at Caroline, hey baby, you, just little, little, they have no clue what I'm saying. You are a mighty woman of God. Ellery, you are a mighty woman of God. And as they've gotten older and can talk back, it's kind of evolved into this. So now I look at Windsor and I tell him, hey buddy, who are you? He looks at me, I am a mighty man of God. 
Yes, you are. That's right. I look at Caroline. Hey, baby, who are you? I am a mighty woman of God. <laughs> Just smiling. Yes, you are. And Ellery still can't talk, so we're working on that one. She just says, Dad, because she loves me a whole lot. <laughs> and so for a few minutes today, if you'll allow me, I want to speak to you on this subject. I am a mighty man or a mighty woman. 1 Samuel chapter 22, let me give you a little context of where we're going today. 1 Samuel chapter 22 gives us a word picture of David who has been on the run because of Saul's attempts to murder him. And so David finds himself hiding in the cave of Adullam. And when his brothers find out that he's in hiding, the Bible tells us that his brothers go to him to help him to his aid. And the Bible would also tell us that everyone who is in distress, everyone who is in debt, and people that are discontented also gathered to him as well. In total, there were about 400 individuals that grouped together with with David in this moment. And it's from this group... Um, that 30-plus individuals would emerge to create a mighty militant marching army in what 2 Samuel 23 would call David's mighty men, his mightiest of warriors. And it's in this chapter uh, 23 of 2 Samuel that you will read of their documented adventures, all their accomplishments, their bravery, their loyalty. And this this is such an intriguing passage to read um, and digest because... Really, the stuff that you read here is, it's kind of insane. I have to be honest with you. It's illogical. It blows your mind. It's movie kind of stuff, to be honest with you. A story from rags to riches these people are. The Bible says that when they came to David, that they were in debt, they were discontented, and they were distressed. But when they met David, the king, in a cave, from that moment forward, they... They would be called mighty men. Can I just stop this morning before we really even get into what we're going to talk about today? Can I just let you know that it doesn't really matter when you walk in here today what cave you find yourself in today. Some of you may be in the cave of addiction or depression or fear. Some of you may be in the cave of major marital issues or financial despair. Can I encourage you this morning that there is a king waiting on you in a cave who is ready to change your name, your title from discontented, distressed to a mighty man or a mighty woman. Do you believe that this morning? Come on, why don't you put your hands together. I wonder if anybody in the house will recognize with me, kind of take a step back memory lane and and remember one more time that you are what you are because you met a king at an altar one day and from that moment forward, he changed everything about who you are. I think it's important from time to time for you and I to step back and to remember what we were when he found us. Look at someone and tell them you look good. Come on, say it like you mean it. Yeah, don't don't, don't lie to them. (laughs) Pastor Brandon, you look good, man. You're sweet. Thank you. Now look at that same person and tell them, but you ain't always look that good. 
right? Because there was a time when you didn't make the choices that you make today. There was a time when you didn't talk the way that you talk today. There was a time when you didn't treat your family the way that you treat them today. But you had an encounter with a king in a cave. And today you are a part of his militant, mighty, marching army that is moving forward day by day. And it's from that moment on that everything was changed about you. But this morning, I really want to draw your attention to a couple of individuals that in this passage of 2 Samuel that they're listed among David's mighty men. And the first would be a man by the name of Beniah. His accounts would be found in 2 Samuel chapter 23 and verse 20. And the Bible would say this. Beniah, son of Jehoiada, a valiant fighter from Kabzeel. Anybody from Kabzeel? Performed great exploits. He struck down Moab's two mightiest warriors. That's great. And he also went down into a pit on a snowy day and killed, what? A lion. He also went down into a pit on a snowy day and killed a lion. Anybody ever went down into a pit on a snowy day and killed? No, I haven't done that. This is crazy. Like, we read over this stuff as, oh, this is Bible. No, this, this, this is real. This is what movies are made of. People think the boring Bible. Read the Bible. If you ever say the boring Bible, you've never read the Bible. That's a clear giveaway. That, uh, well, the boring Bible, it's, it's boring. Try it. No. He went down into a pit on a snowy day and killed a lion. This is ludicrous. Who, who does this? Mighty men and mighty women, right? This is so crazy that seriously, Hollywood could script a movie for this and it would make millions. It would. In fact, you know what? I've got one right here for us. Almost as improbable as falling up. Or the second hand on your watch moving counterclockwise. The lion turns tail and Benaiah gives chase. The camera films the chase at ground level. Lions can run up to 35 miles an hour and leap 30 feet in a single bound. Benaiah doesn't stand a chance. But it doesn't keep him from charging. Then the lion makes one critical misstep. The ground gives way beneath his 500 pound frame. And he falls down a steep embankment into a snow laden pit. For what it's worth, I'm sure the lion landed on his feet because it's a movie. No one is eating popcorn at this point. All eyes are fixed on the screen. It's the moment of truth as Benaiah approaches the pit. Almost like this music is making me laugh. Almost like walking on thin ice. Benaiah measures every step. He inches up to the edge and peers into the pit. Menacing yellow eyes stare back. And the entire audience, you're thinking this, aren't you? Don't even think about it. Who in their right mind chases lions? But Benaiah now has a moment to collect his thoughts, to regain his sanity, and to get a grip on reality. 
And the reality is this, ladies and gentlemen, normal people don't chase lions. So Benaiah turns and walks away. I need your help. The audience breathes a collective sigh of relief. But Benaiah isn't walking away. He's getting a running start. I need your help. There is an audible gasp from the audience. As Benaiah runs at the pit and takes a flying leap of faith, the camera pans out. And you see two sets of tracks leading up to the pit's edge. One set, footprints. Another set, paw prints. Benaiah and the lion disappear into the recesses of the pit. The view is obscured, of course, to keep it PG-13 because we're in church. And for a few critical moments, the audience is left with just the soundtrack. What's happening? What's going on in the recesses of the pit? A deafening roar echoes in the cavernous pit. A blood-curdling battle cry pierces the soul. And then dead silence. Freeze frame. Everyone in the theater expects to see a lion shake its mane and strut out of the pit. But after a few agonizing moments of suspense, the shadow of a human form appears and Beniah climbs out of the pit. The blood from his wounds drips on the freshly fallen snow. Claw marks crisscross his face and his spear arm. But Beniah has just pulled off one of the most improbable victories in the history of cinematic photography. Benaiah has defeated the lion. You would pay $8 to go see that movie. This is crazy. Who charges after a lion in a pit on a snowy day? Mighty men and mighty women. Now stay with me for a second, because I think if you and I were honest with ourselves today and we were, we were to define what we thought a mighty man and a mighty woman were to look like, Benaiah would be the definition. This picture of a mighty man, a mighty warrior for Jesus, right? This person who is constantly moving, Constantly charging, constantly looking for the next best thing, the next thing to conquer. Climbing the ladder of success, never looking back. Doesn't matter what lion gets in your way, I'm going to succeed because I've got a job to do and nothing will stop you. A person who is always trying to acquire more, seeking adventure around every corner. This, this is what you and I, I believe, how we would define a mighty man. Or a mighty woman. But I want to tell you this morning, listen. That there's more to being a mighty man and a mighty woman of God. Than constantly charging and pursuing the next best thing. Stay with me for a second. There's another side of a mighty man or a mighty woman of God. And it's not near as glamorous. Movies will probably not be made of a person like this. It surely won't portray this as a mighty man. But I want to tell you, listen, without this attribute, a mighty man will cease to exist. And I want to direct your attention to just a few scriptures previous in the story of Benaiah. Listed among the mighty men of David is a man by the name of Shammah. 
2 Samuel 22, 11 through 12 would give his account. The Bible would say this. And after him was Shammah, the son of Agi, the Hararite. And the Philistines were gathered together into a troop where was a piece of ground full of lentils. Hmm, a pea patch. And the people fled from the Philistines. But he stood in the midst of the ground and defended it. And he slew the Philistines and the Lord brought a great victory. Here's what I want you to, to draw from this this morning. Shama stood and God gave the victory. Shama stood in a field of lentils or for you and I today, right? Shama stood in a pea patch and God brought a victory. And what I felt the Lord kind of drop into my spirit as I was preparing to speak to you all today is that in a day and age, in a, in a time that we live in today, it's so easy for you and I to get caught up in the charge of life. In the constantly going and pursuing and conquering and doing more and looking for the next best thing. When in all actuality, God is trying to get you to stop the charge and to stand. To stand in whatever it is that he has given you. Stand in it. Some of you might be standing in an oil field. Stand in it. Some of you might be standing in a gold mine. Stand in it. Some of you might be standing in a pea patch. But stand in it. Because if it's what you've got, and if it's what God has given you, stand in it. It's time for the church it's time for, for Christians, it's time for our church, it's time for me and you to dig our heels into the ground and let the enemy know that we're not giving up anything. You've tried to come against me time and time again. You, you can keep trying time and time again. But I will stand here and I will stand my ground because God has given this to me. And if he's given it to me, it's worth fighting for. I'm not giving in. I'm not backing down. I'm not moving away. You can't intimidate me. You can't scare me. I'm standing here with my feet planted firmly on the ground saying, let's go. I am Shama, and I am a mighty man. It's time. It's time to stand for our homes. It's time to stand for our marriages. It's time to stand for our children. It's time to take a stand for our spirituality in a time where Christians are willing to fight for less and less. There's some Christians in the house that need to get a hold of Shama's pea patch faith. It says, it doesn't matter what everyone else around me does. It doesn't matter who walks away. It doesn't matter how seemingly insignificant what I have is. It's what God gave me. And if he gave it to me, it's worth fighting for. And so moving back to our, our text here, evidently the mass majority of Israel began to flee. As Shama stood there because they didn't think that the pea patch was worth fighting for. I want to talk to some husbands and wives this morning, and I, I, feel, I feel this very strongly. 
I want to talk to some husbands and wives who have been looking at their situation. Looking at what they have. It may not be the oil field or the gold field. It may just be a pea patch. And you've been wondering, is this worth standing for any longer? Is this worth fighting for any longer? I, you know, I, I could leave and it would probably be easier just to go find somebody else. I, I don't know if this is worth fighting for anymore. And I feel the Spirit speaking to us today, to some husbands and some wives, to stand your ground. Your husband, your wife, your children, your relationship is worth fighting for. It may not seem like much to everyone else around you. But it's what God has given you. And if he's given it to you, it's worth standing for. And it doesn't matter. Let me just go ahead and tell you. It doesn't matter what Philistine tries to come and take what God has given you. If he is with you. He will bring the victory. You have something worth standing for. You have something worth fighting for. Randy, would you help me as I start to bring this to a close? There's a couple things that I I, I know that if as a church, as a family unit, as homes, if we would get a hold of these two principles, a couple of things that Shama understood that it will change the way that you and I do life when we walk out of these doors. Here's the first thing. Shama knew that if I will stand for the Lord, the Lord will stand for me. 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 14 would say this, Paul speaking. Alexander the coppersmith did me much evil. The Lord will reward him or repay him for what he's done to me. The Lord's going to take care of him. Of whom be thou where also. For he hath greatly, and here comes our key word, I want you to catch this. For he hath greatly withstood our words. Alexander withstood, remember that. At my first answer, no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. And I pray that it may not be laid to their charge. What what Paul is telling Timothy here is that when I got called into the principal's office, when, when I had to stand before Caesar because of my preaching, there was nobody to stand with me. I was all by myself. I had to face this charge alone. But hold on. Hold on, he says. Listen, it's not over. It doesn't matter all of the time what happens around you. That's not necessarily the big deal because in life, people will come and people will go. But watch what he tells him in verse 17. He says, notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me. If everyone walks away, if everyone else thinks it's not worth fighting for, if the Lord will stand with me, I'm going to be okay. If he'll stand with me, I can make it to fight another day. But watch. He stood with me and he strengthened me that by, that by me the preaching might be fully known and that all the Gentiles might hear. Watch. And I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. 
Because what you and I think oftentimes is that the lion, victory, defeating the lion is only found in the charge. That when we go after the lion, chasing the lion, looking for success, finding adventure around, that, that's when we defeat the lion. But the Bible is saying right here, listen, no, nobody stood with me. But God stood with me. And you know what God did when I stood for the things of him? He delivered me and gave me victory out of the mouth of the lion. Sometimes, listen, sometimes victory isn't always found in the charge. There's victory found in the stand. There's victory for your homes. There's victory for your relationships. If somebody will be willing to say, you know what, hell, you know what, enemy, you've come against me too many times. I've given in, I've made mistakes, I've fallen, but today I choose to stand. I choose to stand for the things of God. I choose to stand for my relationship with my spouse. I choose to stand for my spirituality. For some young adults in the house today, I stand for my morality when the world says, what does it matter? Just throw in the towel. No, 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 no. I choose to stand today and I'm not alone. Because if I will stand, the Lord will stand with me and bring me a great victory. Woo! There's times in life where victory isn't found in the charge. Victory is found in the stand. Let me show you again. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3. Who being the brightness of his glory, speaking of Jesus Christ... In the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power. When he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. What he's saying is when the work of atonement was finished, he sat down. Then we move to Acts chapter 7 verse 54. Speaking of Stephen who was stoned for the cause of Christ. Because he stood for the things of Jesus. Watch. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, if you've ever wondered if you need to be full of the Holy Spirit, here's your answer, absolutely. And listen, when you stand for Jesus, you've got to notice a couple things are going to happen when you take a stand. When you plant your feet firmly on the ground and say, not today, devil, not today, enemy, watch what's going to happen. Stephen looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God. Watch this. Look, he said, I see an open heaven. Some of you have been waiting for heaven to open up in favor for you. You know how you find favor and, and live under an open heaven? You take a stand for the things of God. You take a stand for your family. You take a stand for your wife. You take a stand for what God has given you. You're ready for the blessings of heaven to open up on you. It's time to take a stand. Watch. He continues and says this. And the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Hebrews said he was sitting. But when Stephen stood, Jesus stood. Come on, some of you have been worried that you're going to have to fight this battle alone. You've been, because see what we do, right? We mask fear with the charge. We're, we're too intimidated to have that conversation with our spouse. And so we, we put on the charge and we say, hey, baby, I'm going out to conquer. I'm going to look for the next best thing. I'm moving up the ladder of success. 
When sometimes all God's calling you to do is stand. And it doesn't matter what Philistine comes against you. It doesn't matter how heavy the enemy comes against you. If you will plant your feet in the pea patch, God will bring the victory. So I told you that we tell our kids, you are a mighty man of God, Windsor. Caroline, you, baby, you're a mighty woman of God. Ellery, you, baby, you're about to be eight months old, but when you, you don't even know that you are a mighty woman of God. And so we started a new, a new thing in our house. It's called kindergarten. This was new for us this year. Windsor just completed week two and we've survived. Thank you, Jesus. But before school, Windsor was so excited. I'm telling you, you couldn't, the joy on his face, he was telling everybody, I'm going to kindergarten, you know, doing the kindergarten dance, whatever that looks like. He was so excited, and I get the privilege of dropping him off in the mornings. And so we pray, you know, we do what we do. And then we're in the cafeteria where there's a thousand other kids. They go to the cafeteria and then split into their classes. The first day I drop him off, I look at him like, hey, buddy, who are you? I'm a mighty man of God. Yeah, dude, go take on the world. You got it. Go learn how to write your name and whatnot. It's going to be awesome. (laughs) And he did, and it was great. And it makes you feel good as a parent that your kid's excited about what the new territory, right? Doesn't know anybody around him. It's, it's huge. It's much bigger than anything he's ever seen, but he's excited about it. And so I left. I was like, yes, I'm a great dad. Prepared him for this. And he gets home and he tells us about all the greatness of kindergarten, recess, and PE, and stuff, snack time. Where's that? I need that in my world right now. But as it got closer to bedtime, it started changing a little bit. Kind of started getting a little pouty. Daddy, I don't want to go to bed. Why, Bob? We got school tomorrow. You had a great day today. Yeah, but, Dad, I don't want to go to school tomorrow. And he started crying. Like, it wasn't like little pouty tears. No. I mean, he was boohooing, y'all. Like, big, big old tears. And I'm feeling like I was a great dad. And now I'm feeling like, geez, I'm a terrible dad. He's miserable, and i got to make him go back tomorrow. So we pray and do everything that, you know, I know to do as a dad. Wake up in the morning. Same thing. It was a fight. It was terrible. It was the worst morning that we've had in a long time. Just crying and weeping. And I come down, we, we get to the bottom. I said, Bob, what's the deal, man? And he had two, two complaints. One complaint was this. Dad, the day's just too long. I'm like, okay, I get that, yeah. You're just going to have to deal with that, son. Not much I can do there. I don't really feel sorry for you there. It's a long day. Get used to it. Toughen up. You're five. No. <laughs> But this is what got me. Then he looked at me and he said, Dad, I'm scared I'm going to get lost. Just, he's crying and I'm trying to hold back the tears. I'm looking the other way, wiping tears away. 
Because it's, it's huge. It's a new territory for him. I mean, a thousand kids sitting in a cafeteria floor. They're just all acting like hoodlums. I know that's hard for you to believe, but they're crazy. God bless every teacher in here. Dad, I, I, I'm so scared I'm going to get lost. And he's just weeping. We get him dressed. I put him in the car. He's kind of calm on the way. I'm telling every joke I know to tell. Anything that I know makes him happy. I'll buy you 8,000 Nerf guns if you'll just have a good day today. Whatever you need. So we get him to the cafeteria. We pray before as we're walking up like we do every morning. And we get to the cafeteria. It's time to say goodbye. You know, those moments. He's got his, I mean, I mean he's holding on for dear life. Just, just crying. Not for, not for me, for you. I could care less. I'll sit here and hold you for an hour. I don't care what they think about me. And I look at him. Bob, who are you? And he's crying. He's just boohooing. I'm a mighty. I'm a mighty man of God. And I, tears are, I'm crying. And I would love to tell you that in that moment when he said, I'm a mighty man of God, that his chest puffed out, stopped crying, and he walked and said, bring it on, day, let's go, kindergarten. What y'all got? But it wasn't like that at all. He was still scared. He was in an unknown territory, a lot bigger than what he had been used to. He, he thought he was going to get lost. But he had the courage and the faith to say, you know what? It doesn't matter what surrounds me. It doesn't matter what what everybody else around me is doing and what I'm facing right now, what I'm about to walk into. I'm going to have enough faith and enough courage to declare over myself right now that I am a mighty man of God. And I want to tell somebody today, would you stand with me? Stand all across the house. I want to declare to some people in this house today that it doesn't matter what you're about to walk into, what you face when you walk out of these doors. I know the territory. I know it's, it's new ground. I know some of you don't think that you have enough charge in you to even fight another day because you've been fighting battle after battle after battle. And I want to ask you today, will you have the courage and the faith? You don't have to charge, but will you have the courage and the faith to stand one more time? Because I believe if you will take a stand, that you will watch God bring a great victory in your life in the coming weeks, in the coming months, and whatever it is that you're dealing with. As our prayer partners make their way down here today, I wonder if there's anybody else in the house who would say, you know what? I just need a little faith. I need a little courage. I need God to step in and help me to take a stand. I've been charging it. And really, I've had some battle wounds from the, from the wars and from the scars of life. And I don't really think I can even charge one more day. But I wonder if there's anybody in here that would say, listen, I just need a little help today to stand one more time. Because I know if I can stand in what God has given me, that he will be with me and that he will bring me a victory. If that's you, every head bowed, every eye closed. If that's you, I don't want you to waste any time. I want you to step out from where you are. Begin to make your way down here. We want to pray with you today. Come on down. Yeah. Yeah. Come on, who needs a little faith today to stand? Who needs a little courage today to stand? Come on, if you will take a stand for God, God will stand for you. 
Come on, I wonder if there's any husbands and wives in the house today that would have enough faith and courage to say, you know what, hell has come against us, but today we will make a decision to stand for our marriage. We will stand for our children. We will stand for our home. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on, take a stand this morning. Yeah. And that concludes today's message. Please visit clcaustin.com for the latest news, to register for an upcoming event, or to support the Christian Life Ministry through our online giving portal. Thank you for listening.